Well, good morning. It's good, to, it's good to fellowship with you this morning. That was a very sweet time of worship. Thank you for uh, letting our family be a part of that. Um, I appreciate the, uh, the deacons uh, extending an invitation to us and our family, and uh, it, is a, it is a delight to be with the family of God with you. Sounds like a pretty good Baptist church, lots of food, lots of prayer, lots of worship, so um, I, I think we would fit right in. Um, it sounds like there's going to be some really good ribs ahead, so uh, I might figure out when I could get up here on the 21st, so... That sounds actually delightful. Uh, it, is, it is a joy to be with you this morning. We've got five of our seven kids uh, with us and my wife here, Carissa, and uh, we are excited to, to be with you. Our 19-year-old and 18-year-old are on a southern adventure uh, driving through some states in the south and I think currently in Nashville and heading towards Atlanta and Birmingham, perhaps. So um, they're, uh, they're having a good time. They wanted to be here, uh, but uh, I maybe prefer to be there. I think they went to the Grand Old Opry recently, so they're, they're having, a, having a grand old time. So anyway, it is, a, it is a delight to be with you. The last time I think we were in Stanwood was at the Stanwood Commando Fair. How many of you guys were there with us? Oh, a few of you, excellent. Uh, we raise dairy goats, and so um, a lot of our friends in the Stanwood Commando area are involved in the 4-H world, and so um, that's one of our favorite fairs over the, uh, over the years that we've been involved, I think, with 4-H maybe for 11 or 12 years or so. That's always been a, a place that we've enjoyed going. And uh, yeah, we, I just... Uh, it is good to gather with you. I know that uh, you have, as, as Shay had mentioned, you've, it's been a, a difficult stretch, and I, I recognize that, and, um, and uh, it, I do feel privileged and, uh, to be with you, and uh, it's an honor to be with you this morning. Um, before we get rolling, I, I did want to spend some time in prayer, and um, so just join me as we do that. Lord, you are here. Your presence is clearly in this building, in this place. What a sweet time of, of worship before your throne. Thank you for the team that uh, brought us into your presence this morning. You are the King of Kings. You're the Lord of Lords, and we exalt your name. You're sovereign over all things, whether it be wildfires or or difficulties and adversity in our life. Personally, uh, whether uh, in, the, in the church or personal in lives or the universal church around the globe. Even this morning, listening to my sister-in-law preach in Cambodia and Vietnamese, what a joy it was to, to see the gospel being uh, professed around the globe. We recognize that you are, uh, you are overall. And this is your church, this is your space, this is your time, and I pray that your word would be spoken. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So as, as I was preparing to, uh, to spend some time with you uh, over the last, last couple weeks, um, the Lord led me to uh, Jeremiah 29. And, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, one of the most famous passages in Scripture. You find it on all sorts of encouraging posters and, uh, you know, greeting cards or graduation announcements or 
um, all, all sorts of things. You know, it's, it's in a, a good number of church bathrooms. There's always some sort of poster on the wall with Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, and it's just, it's just there, right? And so Jeremiah 29, 11 is, is, is well known. Um, but what I, what I felt led to is kind of like to talk a little bit about the context around that verse. And so we're going to look at uh, all of Jeremiah 29, 1 through 14 this morning. And so if you have your own personal copy of the Holy Scriptures, I encourage you to, to turn there this morning. We're going to look at the verse within the context of it, seeing it in light of, you know, what was happening in the time of Jeremiah as well. I think if we, uh, if we have an opportunity to, I think we can engage it a little bit with with the sense of like of what's going on in our own world and our own culture. And I think maybe perhaps we can find some correlation to what was happening in the time of Jeremiah to what's happening in our, in our world today. And so that is my intention this morning to do that. And uh, so join me in, uh, in the word this morning with Jeremiah 29. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisah, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. And when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Lord, this is your word. May we honor as we listen to it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So a little, a little historical context of, of this scripture, right? Uh, this, is, uh, the, this is the chosen people of God, the Jewish people, that, uh, the ones to whom the, the Lord has established his covenant with, have found themselves under the oppression of Babylon, and there was a contingent taken uh, to, to Babylon in exile. And as the kings of Israel and Judah had turned from the Lord, invading armies were able to conquer the lands and rule over God's people. Babylon eventually brings some of the covenant people 
of God to Babylon as exiles. And so we may know the names Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and others were hustled off to Babylon, and, and Jeremiah has words for them on, on ways in which they should live in the midst of this difficult time period in their life, something that they did not anticipate happening. And what is interesting, I think, is that we find that Jeremiah lets them know that there's going to be 70 years of exile, that this is not going to be just a quick thing that they go through and that it's just going to be over real fast. This is, a, this is over, you know, probably multiple generations of people are going to experience this time in exile. It's not going to be a quick fix. It's not going to be something that God's going to just solve right away. But this is 70 years of being in Babylonian exile. So in, in those first four verses, Jeremiah is really setting the stage for the letter to his exiles, declaring the context of his letter. Verse four makes it perfectly clear who the author is of these words, right? That it's, that it's the God of the Bible, right? Verse four says specifically, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, all right? This is, this is his words. This is not the words of Jeremiah, but this is the words of God through his prophet Jeremiah. So who, who let's, let's back up a little bit, who is Jeremiah? So Jeremiah was a prophet, and prophets were people chosen by God to speak on his behalf, to speak on behalf of God of creation, the host, the God of the host, the, the Lord of lords, the King of kings. I mean, what an awesome responsibility that Jeremiah had to hear from the Lord and then speak to his people, words that they wanted to hear or didn't want to hear. All right, can you imagine that, that the people that were sent off to exile and all the people left behind were to find out that this was going to be 70 years? Do you think that was exciting news? No, that was probably a hard message to deliver, where the Lord says, it's going to be 70 years. It's going to be two generations worth of people, right? That was difficult words, but it was the, it was the responsibility for the prophet to, hold, you know, especially as we find in the Old Testament, the prophet has the role of speaking for the Lord and holding the people of God accountable to his word. A quick bio on Jeremiah. Um, I got this from David Malik, a commentator. He says that Jeremiah began his ministry at about the age of 20 in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah. This is about 626 BC. Jeremiah was persecuted by the rise of an idolatrous faction in Judah. And Jeremiah was protected by some God-fearing elders and princes after his messages, even when they were you know, against the nation. And although Jeremiah was offered a place of honor by the Babylonians for encouraging uh, and urging the Jews to submit to them, he chose to stay with his people in Palestine and minister to those who remained after the deportation. And so this is kind of where we find this letter, this, uh, this amazing piece of encouragement uh, that we find out of Jeremiah 29:11. This is the context of it. It's kind of in a difficult time period for the people of God. And yet this is where Jeremiah is finding, like, this is the word that he has been given to offer it to those exiles as they're going to Babylon, living in a foreign place, in a foreign pl uh, where they worship foreign gods and do things that are, that are not according to their customs and the ceremonies and the traditions that they, as the people of God, are used to. This is going to be a difficult, difficult stretch. And so Jeremiah called them exiles, ones that were taken from their home into a place that is not their home. And what I want to suggest this morning is maybe that you are sitting here in the chairs this morning, maybe you feel like a little bit of an exile. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, 
Uh, Verses 11 and 12 says, Beloved, I urge you, this is Peter talking to the church, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the good day of visitation. And so even Peter writing to the New Testament church would would recognize that Christians are sojourners or exiles, people that are no longer in their space, right? But in in a foreign land. Because as you know, we we are citizens of a different kingdom, are we not? We are citizens of heaven. And so we here are on earth, temporary. Maybe it's gonna be 70 years. Maybe it's gonna be more than 70 years. But we are here on this earth, in this land, in this space, not in our true home. You know, as we, talk, as we sang about in that last song, you know, it kind of echoes to Revelation 21 when the, when the new heaven and the new earth and, and God will dwell amongst his people again, right? That is like what we look forward to and that is our true home. And some of us have gone before us and they have met their true home already, right? And, and some of us are on that journey and all of us are here sitting in these chairs this morning and... Uh, and we, are, we find ourselves in a world that is, that is maybe there are traditions and ceremonies and things that we value as believers in our homes that the world around us does not. And we find ourselves in a place of exile. So maybe you can relate a little bit to the exiles that were sent to Babylon. And so what are the, what are the instructions? You know, what are the things that Jeremiah encourages the exiles to do? The first thing he says is to build houses and to live in them. They're being instructed to make themselves at home, to be a part of a community. You know, I think this is something uh, significant. There's something significant about your, your, your place around. How many of you guys go camping? All right, how many of you feel like when you're in that, like, okay, how many of you are actually in trailers and RVs and like, you know, hard shell pop-up tents? Okay, how many of you use like the actual tent? Okay, so like when that tent is over your head, does that ever feel like a home? Right, it's definitely a structure. It's a place where you lay your, your, your head at night, but, but I think you're a little hard-pressed to call it a home because there's a difference between a, like a structure and there's a difference be- between that and a home. I was, uh, I was laying in bed with my, uh, tucking my nine-year-old in, uh, last night, and uh, we had kind of talked a little bit about uh, the fires, and um, you know, so we're we live in Monroe, and uh, you know, so you know, we're, we have we have, we we know that there's a there's a fire moving kind of towards our direction, and we're not too concerned, but you know, there is a there is a pathway, and so she might have been a little bit concerned about it, and so we were we were kind of talking about uh, you know, what if our home was something that we needed to evacuate. And so, you know, so we started talking about what's the difference between a house and a home. And, uh, you know, so every year we, we uh, every year we, we, we go to the Stanwood Communal Fair and we, we set up a tent in one of those like little hay fields across the way. And I think that was probably what inspired us to buy a bunch of cots uh, because like, <laughs> there's nothing really flat about that hay field. And so... Uh, so we, we bought some cots. And so, you know, it's, it's actually amazing. You're there for three days and you have like a little fire pit. And, and uh, for some reason, if you, you make a lot of food, a bunch of teenagers come and want to eat your food. And then they want to sit around your fire. And, and, you know, for as crazy as a little piece of canvas is, that it doesn't really feel like a home. The next thing you know, you're actually sharing life together. You're sitting around, you're sharing meals, you're eating, you're, you're, you're sharing stories, you're laughing together. 
Um, you're relating to one another. There's community that happens. And all of a sudden, this tent that doesn't feel like much of a home actually becomes a home. Because really, it's not about the structure. It's about what's going on in that home. Right? It's about the lives shared. It's about the intimacy of relationships and the authenticity of, of being able to share with one another life, sitting around a meal, sharing a meal, breaking bread, drinking wine, you know, enjoying the, the traditions of a home of Christmas and Thanksgiving and all of the, the things that you do as a family that makes a home a home. And so these instructions are to build houses and live in them. And so, like, recognize that you're not here temporarily. Don't just set up a tent, but actually build a house. And don't just suffer through. Don't just hang on white knuckling it all the way through. But live in them. Build houses and live in them. These are, the, these are instructions for exiles. To, to go to build houses and to live in them. A home is a place where you provide community, sharing life together. I think so much community, as we've talked about, is built around meals uh, and traditions shared together. Modeled after the triune God of the universe, the creator of all things, who exists in community for all time. Has always, currently does, and always will exist in the community of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so this community has been modeled from us from the very beginning. This is who God is. And in part of our DNA, we're, we're made in the image of God, male and female, made in the image of God. Each one of us represents, you know, as image bearers, like part of his DNA. Like we are a part, like, like we are made in his image and therefore we reflect who he is in his character and his attributes to the best we can as fallen creatures. And part of that DNA is the need for community, to be a part of something greater, right? So the, the encouragement as an exile living in this land is to build a house and live in it. To live in it, to be a part of it, to exist into community, to thrive. So the exiles were really being instructed to build community. The second word that he's given is to plant gardens and, and eat the produce, right? So Make use of the land that you have around. I mean, this is, there's some good farmland around here, right? All right, so planting produce and eating of the earth, this is what they were instructed to do. They were instructed to work the land and to provide. And this is nothing new. Similar instructions uh, come all the way back to Genesis 1. Verse 27, as we've already talked about, says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. So this is really instructions for the people living in exile that they should, they should you know, earn a living and provide for themselves. And if that's an agrarian society where you're going to be planting in the earth and you're going to be eating the produce, or if it's in a city situation where you're going to be finding a way to make a living and then provide for your family. So you're building houses, you're having community, you're, you're investing in the land, investing in the community there, and you're going to earn a living and provide for your family and those around you so that not only can you just have this structure over your head, but you can also have meals together and enjoy the fruit of your produce and you can provide for your community. 
And so he says, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. And then he says, continue to be fruitful and multiply as God's covenant people. You know, make sure you find wives for your sons and, and, and husbands for your daughters and that their kids get married, right? And so the idea that, hey, you're going to be here for 70 years, like don't sequester, like have life, be fruitful, multiply. This was, again, goes back to the, the, the call to Adam and Eve in the garden to be fruitful and multiply. So my wife and I, we've done our part, seven kids, you know, so we encourage you, right? So like here we are living in exile, like seriously, we are called to like, you know, pass on the legacy of faith to our children. You know, and so I'm sure you, like us, we pray that our kids would meet, you know, young men and young women who love the Lord and would marry them. And then they would have children and have their own family and build their own houses and live in them and work the land and eat of their produce and, and on and on. Because we are living in a place that is countercultural to this, this biblical view of what it looks like to be a Christian, right? In this land, we are sojourners. We are exiles. And yet this is where God has us planted. This is where we're at. You guys are right here in the community of Stanwood for a reason, on purpose, for a purpose. God has you here. And everything that you've been through is a part of, a part of God's sovereign will. And he has geared you up for this purpose right here, right now. So we, we, re, we continue on with this letter, this amazing letter, this letter of encouragement to these exiles in this difficult period. What does he say? He says, seek the welfare of the city that you live in, praying for its welfare, for in its welfare you will find your own. In the Hebrew, we see that the word welfare is actually the word shalom. And we think of the word shalom, we think of peace. In fact, it means completeness, soundness, welfare, peace. Safety, soundness in body, welfare, health and prosperity, peace, quiet, tranquility, contentment, peace, friendship. Peace in relationships with humans, peace in relationship with God, especially in a covenant relationship. Peace from war. Right? This, this is the, the biblical definition of this word shalom that we find here, translated in the ESV as welfare. And so Jeremiah is calling the, these exiles to pray for the shalom of the city that you live in. Praying for its shalom. Because in its shalom, you will find your own shalom. Right? And so the encouragement is to pray for the city that you live in. To pray deeply for the city that you live in. 1 Timothy chapter 2 some instructions for us. It says, first of all, then I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of our God, our savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so I would just, if you are considering yourself an exile this morning, you've been through difficulty, you have adversity, you're going through all of that, you're, you're living as a Christian in this community right here. I think we can take Jeremiah's words upon ourselves and say, yes, we need to be praying for the shalom of Stanwood. Because in the peace and in the welfare and in the shalom of Stanwood, we will find our own shalom. We can pray that, the, that people would have peaceful shalom relationships with God and peaceful shalom relationships with one another. 
praying for our leaders, praying for our government, praying for those that are around us, praying for the, the welfare of those around us within the church and outside the walls of the church, praying for the welfare of the other churches that are involved in this, in this area. God is doing great things in this community. This community is growing and we can join them in praying for the welfare of the people around. You know, if you're, if you're seeking the welfare and you're not actively working against the welfare, these are two different uh, postures that we as Christians, we can have a posture of against the community or for the community. And what Jeremiah is calling to the exiles that are going to Babylonian is for them to be for, like a posture of praying for the welfare of the community that they are a part of. To consider like, what does that look like to be a part of a community in that regard? How do we live in that? We can look to the New Testament. We can look to Matthew chapter five. We can, we can see that, he, that Jesus' teaching says, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people put a lamp and light it, and they put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If you're considering this morning, like, I, I need more instructions on how to live and how to seek the welfare of the Stanwood Camino community, like, I need more instructions than that, then I would say, you know, go no further than the, the Sermon on the Mount. And read and listen and take in and dwell upon and meditate on the teachings from Jesus on instructions on how to live, how to dive into this countercultural way of life. To love others is defined by Christ, not the world. All right? The word love has been hijacked by the world around us, and the church needs to take it back. All right? True love is a biblical love. The church universal has much, much room to grow in this, right? Let's switch down to verses eight and nine. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. So what is this in a reference to? If you flip back to Je uh, Jeremiah 28, you feel free to read that on your own. But it's going to tell the story of Hananiah, a false prophet who was telling the people of God like what they wanted to hear. Like how nice would it be that this little ordeal of this exile was only going to be a couple years? Like wouldn't that be nice? You know, just a couple years, a little vacation, a little time away, you know, struggle. It'll be, it'll be rough, you know. But two years later, you'll be back and God will bring it all back and he'll heal the land and it will... It'll be great. And so Hananiah is, is using, like, like he's considered, like he's calling himself a prophet and he's saying, this is, this is what's going to happen. Like, be encouraged. It's only like two years. But he wasn't speaking for God, right? He was, he was a false prophet. And Jeremiah is saying, you know, there are always going to be false prophets out there. In fact, 2 Timothy 4 says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears that they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Does that sound familiar? And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I mean, this is speaking of the world that we live in right now, right? It's so easy to like cultivate like a, an ear that wants to hear what you want to hear, right? 
It's so easy to go to certain websites that are going to say what you want them to say and avoid those websites that don't say the things that you want them to say, right? And so we, we kind of cultivate a relationship with, with the news and the world around us about things that we really want to see. Some people call it confirmed bias. Like, I think the world exists this way, and therefore I'm going to read websites that only say that the world exists this way. And therefore the world only exists this way, right? And so we cultivate this. I think it, I think it happens, right? And we see, we see people turning away from biblical truth, do we not? Things that were seemingly really clear and black and white are no longer black and white. Things that are so clear as people are made in the image of God, male and female, he created them. All of a sudden, there's like, you know, like there's other truth out there, right? And so, and people will cultivate this and they want to hear from false teachers because it feels good. It's only going to be two years of exile, it's a lot more discouraging to hear it's going to be 70 years. But God's truth is God's truth. It's biblical truth, right? It was biblical truth then, it's biblical truth now, and it will be biblical truth tomorrow, right? God's word is the only truth. We need to focus on the word of God is the only truth. Any truth and teaching that does not line up with God's word is false teaching, even if it's what the culture is wanting to hear. Verses 10 through 14. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. What an encouraging word. What an encouraging word that at the end of this time, for them it's going to be 70 years. For at the end of this time, you will seek me and you will find me. I will find you and I will restore all that is good. And I will bring restoration to you and your life and your community. I will bring it back. I will see, you will seek me and I will find you. What a beautiful promise. Because God is aware. He is over all. He knows the plans that he has for us, declares the Lord. And what may feel like adversity, what may feel like hardship is adversity. And it is hardship. And yet God is there in the midst of it. And he is there and he is going to use that. For his glory. The you in this verse is plural. It's a reference to a group of people. And in, in this case, it's the people who are in covenant with the Lord. And I love that in verse 14, seek the Lord and you will find him. You know, there's been times in my life where I, I, I think, I, I think I wish things could have gone differently or if I was choosing them, I would have changed maybe the outcomes of how things happened. Um, you know, and, and yet due to different storms in my life, you know, God is able to come through and his plans come into fruition. Um, things that I, you know, had not gone through the storm, maybe I wouldn't have grown in them the way that, that God had intended for me. Uh, you know, a number of years ago, my, my dad passed away unexpectedly and, and I find myself in this, in this place of, of no longer having a dad. And, and that was, you know, that was hard enough on its own, but the, the difficult thing of that actually was that in the, in the midst of that moment where my dad passed unexpectedly, I, I was actually in a, a distant relationship with him. 
we had, had kind of, uh, I was angry with him over some things. And I didn't have the chance to reconcile that. And so he passed unexpectedly, and I was stuck in this place of, of being in this broken relationship with him. And I didn't really know how to process that. I don't even think in the moment, I, I don't think I was really processing it in the moment, but, but over, over time and over the years that passed, I started, like all of this kind of anger in me just kind of festered. And it was festering and festering, and, and it was just coming out in ways that were not, I, I'm not proud of, right? I mean, things that were, were taking place in me, and I realized I needed, to, I needed to dive into that space and kind of allow God to kind of heal those wounds. And one of the things that, uh, you know, I, I, um, one of the things that he began to show me was just the, the opportunity to kind of extend forgiveness towards my dad, even if he wasn't there to receive it, to at least extend that forgiveness in me. Because that which was like, kind of rooting in my heart and in my soul was like doing damage. And I needed to extend forgiveness to my dad uh, for some things. And, and it, was a, it was a healing process. And it was something that I needed, to, um, I needed to learn. I needed to learn more about extending forgiveness. I needed to learn more about extending grace uh, to my fellow man. To, to extend forgiveness, to extend grace. And it was something that God showed me and would I love to have my dad around? Absolutely. Uh, am I grateful that in the midst of that difficult time of adversity, like God has shown, like he used that in my life to show me some things about forgiveness and about extended grace and love towards others in relationship? Yes, I'm so grateful for that. So grateful for that. It's in those moments, I think, where we can look at Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare or shalom, not for evil, to give you a hope and a future. Like we can recognize some of the truth that God's word and, and some of the reason why it's on a greeting card and a graduation announcement and a poster. Like the, like the, the truth of God's word is impactful. And there is, there is good hope that we have knowing that God has plans for us. You know, God has plans for Cedar Home Baptist. God has plans for this church. And there are great plans. There are plans for the welfare of the church and the welfare of this community. Now, he has plans that involve shalom for all of you and those around you. And there are good plans. And so that's my encouragement for you this morning. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, multiply, press on, pass on that faith legacy, not only to your children's children, but also to your neighbors and their children's children. Be a blessing to those. Pray for the welfare of this community. Pray for the shalom of this church. Pray for the shalom of Stanwood Camino. Pray for this community. Be a part of it. See yourselves as exiles, yes. As sojourners, yes. And one day, again, we see in Revelation 21, one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And one day we'll, we will be with God. And once again, he will dwell with his people. And that is going to be a great day. And until then, live, build houses, have community, be a part of the land, pray for the people. Right, this is God's call to us. Stand strong, knowing that God is with you. Yes, we are exiles. Yes, we are sojourners. Yes, one day we will be at home forever. 
in eternity. And it will be a glorious day. And until then, like, let's live like exiles as Jeremiah calls us to. Let's pray. Lord, help us to take time now to listen. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be active and alive and moving in our lives. Lord, I trust that this was words from you this morning that we needed to hear. And Lord, I pray that each one of us would, would open our hearts to, to listen for your voice. You have something for each of us this morning. Maybe it's taking seriously to the call to pray for our city and our country and the world. Maybe it's just recognizing that you love us and that yes, even though we're exiles in this land, there is a future promise of redemption waiting for us on the other side. Maybe it's recognizing that the storm that we're in right now, although it is something incredibly difficult, it's something that you can use. That you will be with us in the midst of adversity. That you don't leave your covenant people alone. That you never forsake us. You never leave us. You always are with us. And whether it was walking with us in the garden or having a, the, your presence with the tabernacle or the temple or an incarnation bodily form of Jesus or now with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and one day walking with you new in the new heaven and new earth, you are always finding a way to be with your people. Maybe it's recognizing that you want to do something in this community right here, right now. But Lord, we give you praise. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. We recognize that you are sovereign. Thank you for the encouraging words that we have from the prophet Jeremiah this morning. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Well, it has, been a, it has been a good morning to spend with you. Thanks again for putting up with me. It's a delight to, uh, to our family to be with you this morning. Thanks for the coffee and the muffins and the cookies this morning. And uh, my prayer is that you guys would be dismissed this morning and that you would go and God's favor would shine upon you and that you would walk in his shalom. And so enjoy that for the rest of the day.